How many times does an elected official have to violate the Constitution before people say enough? Looks like Governor Mike DeWine and his Republican colleagues are going to violate the Constitution again today by not providing congressional maps as they're supposed to. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And actually, this isn't really as serious a violation of the Constitution as they did with legislative districts because the Constitution contemplates them being unable to make maps and has steps that come if they fail, uh, which I guess we will see. Uh, it, and basically, it falls to the Elections Commission. Actually, it's the legislature that's failing. It's not Mike DeWine, right? It's it's the legislature that has until today to do it. Then it goes to Mike DeWine and his colleagues on the Election Commission, right? I got that right? I believe so. Another yeah. day, another deadline. Yeah, but they're <laughs> not. But Mike DeWine and his colleagues are not in violation of the Constitution no, today. No. They just were a half dozen times last week. Let's begin. What was the big obstacle that the vaccine mandate bill proposed by Ohio State House Republicans hit on Wednesday? Laura Johnston, this was a rush job until it wasn't a rush job. Yeah, you know, I'm really surprised that they proposed this compromise because no one likes it. And when it was proposed, you're kind of like, OK, I see where they went with this. They made it made it more palatable, but it's it's still not anywhere near ready. So it went back to the House Rules and Reference Committee where more work will be done. This is House Bill 435. Under the bill, public and private employees, as well as public and private K-12 schools and college students could be subject to coronavirus mandates. However, there's a whole lot of exemptions. But there's a huge coalition of people who don't want this. The Ohio Chamber of Commerce, the Ohio Vaccine Coalition, conservative Republicans, and Democrats are all saying no we don't want this. But for different reasons. Right. It's not like a unified, we don't think it's strong enough or we think it goes too far. You have some saying this isn't strong enough and others saying you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing this at all. Absolutely. So the Vaccine Coalition, which includes the clinic, university hospitals, uh, and Greater Cleveland Partnership and some similar organizations across the state, they said in a statement they appreciated the work the House had done to find a legislative solution, but that it doesn't address the concerns expressed by all of them, that they fall short. It's not enough. But the Chamber of Commerce said exactly the opposite. They said it infringes upon the rights of Ohio's employers. One size fits all government mandates, lim- mandates, limiting employer rights are not the right approach. They don't want any kind of mandate at all. And conservative Republicans thought it was too weak and Democrats thought it was too strong. So the Cleveland Clinic is among the group saying that it needs to be stronger, but the Cleveland Clinic doesn't mandate that its workers <laughs> get vaccines. Yes, it's part of can, the group. I can mean, you say hypocrisy. That's it. You know, you wonder what was going on inside the vaccine coalition and what they were saying, Um, because some of the groups in there, like, you know, Akron Children's and SUMA, have been a lot more um, forthright about saying, you know, you need to be vaccinated. So they might have had to go with the will of the more stringent organizations. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't pull out because they're so adamantly against making their staff get the vaccine. We're getting emails from people that they're going in with immune compromised conditions to get work done there. And they say that clinic workers are getting hostile with them if they're asked if they're vaccinated. And it's like, these are, these are immunocompromised children that are coming in for procedures. They need to know if they're being exposed to dangerous stuff. Very strange times. Uh, we'll have to see if uh, Bob Cup can yeah. get support for this thing together. This was 
Bob Cup. This uh, was Bill Seitz. This was a bunch of people that thought they could come up with a halfway workable solution. And but, you know, part of the reason is that they introduced this Tuesday and we're going right. for a vote on Wednesday with no public comment. Right. They, That's not good government. Right. Exactly. So at 1 p.m. Wednesday, they were supposed to start this session. It began 90 minutes late because all of a sudden they realized nobody wanted to vote for it. But yet they, so they came in and ready to fast track this. They never asked people what they thought about it. I mean, say what you will about the previous iteration and all the crazies it brought out. But at least it had hours and hours of public testimony. Okay, well, we'll see if we get a mandate or not. We still are waiting on the federal mandate rules. It's this week in the CLE. Is the COVID Delta variant surge finally on the wane in Ohio? Lisa Garvin, Rich Exner spotted this. He's our one of our editors who's got a background in data, and he noticed 11 straight days of numbers going down. So we did a deeper dive. What did we find? I think we found that it depends on who you talk to. I mean, the, the trend line is there, there in the numbers. I mean, the week of uh, September 7th, we saw 47,400 <laughs> cases. And then the week just that just ended on the 28th went down to 42,061 cases. So, I mean, we are seeing a downward trend. But if you talk to, oh, so if you talk to Dr. David Margolius, who, who's with the Metro Health System, he's hopeful, but he's still a little cautious that the surge is ending. He believes it might be the last wave of the Delta variant. And I just, just before coming on this morning, I was reading on CNN, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who used to be with the FDA, he thinks that the Delta wave will run its course by Thanksgiving. So we'll see. But, um, you know, I, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, Dr. Fred Plecka, who's with the Southwest General Hospital System here in, in the Cleveland area, he said there is not enough evidence that Delta is ending, and he's worried that the next variant, he's not sure whether the variant will be better than Delta or worse than Delta. So I don't know. I, I think the trend is going in the right direction, but I, I don't think, as uh, Keith Armitage says, he's with UH Infectious Disease Department, he says, don't get complacent. And I think that's the message here. The trend line may be going down. We really don't know. I think we, we see it, but I think that we can't like let our guard down now. Well, you do wonder whether the scare of the Delta variant and what happened over the past couple of months with people really going back to wearing masks has blocked its transmissibility and that that, that is helping to bring it to wane. And a whole lot of people have gotten sick. And so you wonder mm -hmm. if it's just finding fewer hosts. It's good to see the numbers finally starting to go down. We do have the fear because we saw what happened last year between right. Thanksgiving and Christmas that as the weather gets cold and people get together, it could spread again. But some some good news. It's encouraging. Hope, yeah. Whatever. And 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 unlike last spring where we said, oh, it's over. Let's throw caution to the wind. <laughs> right. <You're> right. <laughs> wear, wear the mask. Be careful. Get the booster and maybe we'll keep it at bay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. All right. This is a good story. How did some Cleveland City Council members decide to go around their president, mayoral candidate Kevin Kelly, to map out a plan for spending the city's big windfall of stimulus money. Leila Tassi, I've been paying attention to City Hall for a quarter century, <laughs> and this has not happened before. I know. Who knew that stimulus spending would be so dramatic and, and interesting to watch? So this is the latest in a string of strange and rare events involving how to spend this half a billion dollar windfall that the city is getting from the American Rescue Plan. Last week... 
uh, we saw Kevin Kelly rush through the legislative process, this proposal to carve out $20 million of the money for an ambiguous plan to extend broadband throughout the city without an inkling of an idea of who would own the project or how much it would cost or, or when it would get done. Then a few days later, Mayor Jackson called an out-of-the-blue press conference to lay out some basic plans for spending the rest of the money, but the public and the council got less than an hour's notice of that. So that all led to this feeling that the administration and Kevin Kelly have really cut out the rest of council from this process altogether. So a majority of council members, led by Councilman Carrie McCormick and Charles Slife on Monday night, agreed to call a special council meeting next week to discuss the stimulus spending. And this is so rare. For Carrie McCormick, who is vying to succeed Kevin Kelly as council president, to wrest control of this process from the president is a stunning move. Well, and, and, and it was, if you watch it on YouTube, if you've, anybody that's ever paid attention, it's kind of an electrifying moment because Charles Slife stands up and he says, I'm employing the rule where five or more members can sign on to call a committee of the whole. And a committee of the whole is all council members getting together for a discussion. Mm-hmm. That's usually what the council president does. That's right. And they, they did it on their own. I mean, it is an enormous slap in the face to Kevin Kelly. I It was stunning. They, they were annoyed because not only did the mayor have that press conference, well, although he didn't show up at it, he had Sharon Dumas show up at it. It was an emergency press conference that he didn't even attend because he was dealing with the funeral plans of his grandson. But they, they, they introduced the legislation Monday for it. I mean, right. they, they, so so council's like, wait. You put in 20 million. He's putting in the rest. Where do we come in? We've been asking our residents what they want to do. So it was a big moment. I was also stunned by how Kevin Kelly kind of (laughs) blinked at the end of the meeting. You know, he could sit up there and know that this is going on and think this is political. Kerry McCormick's trying to angle to be council president. So I'll just do it. But he was kind of condescending. He goes, all right, we've had two hearings. I guess we can have a third. But what did he say that really showed that he's blinked? Well, he said uh, he kind of like shrugged after that and then just said, and just to make things easier, you can just ask me next time. Yeah. (laughs) Next time. Ask me. I mean, it was so dumb. I mean, I keep watching him kind of stumble through this campaign. And the smart move there would have been show nothing. Never let him see you sweat and 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 get involved in this meeting and and work it. Part of the problem, and we've been talking about this now for probably six weeks, is this belief that Kevin Kelly was going to use the stimulus spending and the decisions on it as part of his campaign for mm-hmm. mayor. So he'd go to residents and say, look what I brought you. Uh, the, 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 the other council members are fed up with no decisions. And, and Layla, we, we talked about this last night. They have had two meandering hearings where they've decided nothing but, but that's where leadership steps up. And, you know, you're waiting for somebody to say, look, okay, we want to deal with lead paint. You know, we, we've already allotted this much money for lead paint. What, what more do we want to do to rush that situation? What percentage of this money would be good for that? How will we spend it? Okay, lead paint. Broadband. What is the plan? Will we work with Digital C? They've already got a plan started. Are they the ones? Are there other contractors? What neighborhoods will we go into? They never have done that. They right. haven't really dug into that. There is some big digital C plan out there, but the council has never once uh, considered it. So anyway, uh, you know, I've seen a lot at City Hall over the years. This is the first time that I can remember the council members outside the council president 
saying, yeah, you go away. We'll pay for this. <laughs> I'm also curious to see how I, I can't wait to see how it turns out on Monday, on Monday morning when they have this special meeting, because is it going to be what, what is it going to be the gist of the meeting? Is it going to be the frustration over the process or will they actually have some concrete plans they want to discuss? Because I'll bet. I'm afraid I'll it's going to be another meandering meeting that's no, going to be super I, I, annoying. I, I think Kerry McCormick, you know, we've reported Kerry McCormick wants to be president. Blaine Griffin right. wants to be president. I think Kerry McCormick's going to walk in there with his five signers with real thoughts about what to do and, well, and who, leads, who leads this kind of meeting. I've never seen it. I mean, the five years I covered city council, I, I never saw a group of, of council members call a special meeting apart from the council president. Council president usually leads the council of the whole. Like I, I don't know who's going to be, who holds the gavel at a meeting like this. That's like well, a mutiny. <laughs> no, I think, I think he, he, he still would because it's a council of the whole and he's the body's president. But, but I do the people that called this clearly have a plan now. They're they're if they walk in and do what they did in the first two meetings that Kevin Kelly ran with no focus whatsoever, then this will be a, a colossal failure. But but you can see people gravitating to McCormick because they're looking for leadership. You did also hear some conflict uh, from Kevin Conwell got up and said, look, this isn't equal. We shouldn't be spending this money equally. We should be looking at where poverty is worst in this city and focusing it there. And then some some of the people that have less poverty in their words were like, well, wait a minute, though. We do have some poverty. Let's not right. be exclusive. So the, there'll be some interesting discussions to come. But, you know, those discussions should have started back in June. Yeah, and right. <laughs> that's where the frustration is of the um, of the council members. So fascinating, fascinating turn at City Hall. You're listening to this week at the in the CLE. How do Ohioans who got scammed out of their unemployment benefits finally get reimbursed? Larry Johnson, like everything with the state unemployment system, this has been interminable. People have been trying to get their money for a year because they got scammed out of it. And just now, just now, is there a process by which they can ask for it? Yes, but it's not going to be easy. They can call the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services, which Honestly, good luck. I want to know what the wait times are on those cold <laughs> calls are right now. So after calling and after talking to someone, the state will then send them affidavits for them to sign in the presence of a notary public. So good luck finding one of those. And then they have to attest they didn't receive the jobless benefits they were due. Then they have to return that to the state via email, fax, the mail, or by scanning a photograph of the document. So then the state will review it and decide whether to grant payment for each requested week of reimbursement. And then if those requests are denied, the state workers will send information on how the applicants can appeal. This does not seem like a simple process. Well, what, why do you have to call? Why can't they set up an email portal where you all you're asking for is an affidavit? So, so right. why can't you just go on, punch in your home address and, and get an affidavit mailed to you? I, the, the phone call part you're right. They're going to have miles long wait times. And it just seemed like they made this more difficult than it had to be as they have made everything. More well, difficult. you want to know my favorite part of the press release? Quote, there is no estimate on how long it will take to process reimbursement requests. 
<laughs> they're not even promising to make this easy. I mean, there's no way they could promise to make it easy. And, and what's sad is this is money that people desperately needed. I mean, they lost their jobs. They were eligible for unemployment because of the state's weak security. They got scammed out of it. Their accounts were hacked. And now, that they, they, you know, they're just trying to get made whole. I wonder what they bought food with during the time they were I know. It's getting like we, their money. We need another one of the DeWine briefings for Houston to stand up there and be like, we know, we know we're trying to fix it. It's getting better. But yeah. <laughs> it, it just feels like more of the same. And it's never fixed. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How much slower is the U.S. mail going to get with changes that begin on Friday? Lisa Garvin, this is a national story with big local implications. It's the, one of the strangest things, that I, re- sets of reasoning I've ever seen. We're going to slow it down to make it more efficient. <laughs> Which I, I, I don't understand that argument at all. But I do know that Luddites like me who still write checks and put them in the mail to pay their bills are going to have to take <laughs> notice, you know, because otherwise you'll be running up against late fees, you know, if your bill doesn't get to the people on time. So as of tomorrow, first class mail which is, you know, stamped envelopes and magazines and periodicals, which the Postal Service calls flat mail, will take an extra two days if they're going longer distances. So uh, two-day delivery is still the norm for local mail that's in the region. But if you're sending it like out of state or whatever, it's going to be a couple of extra days. This does, so they say, only affect about 39% of first-class mail and and about 7% of periodicals. So... Well, it just remains to be seen. But, you know, Louis DeJoy is still the postmaster. He's the man who took out all these sorting machines across the country last year. So I'm wondering if that might be part of the issue. I don't think that any of these sorting machines were even put back. But, you know, those of us in Cleveland remember seeing lines of trucks outside the central post office downtown waiting for days to unload their mail. And I had a package that took two weeks to get to California. It went to Pittsburgh first, then Philadelphia, and then decided to go to California. So hopefully we'll see this. Yeah, we had like a 28.8 Eight percent on-time delivery in mid-December of 2020 in Cleveland. Pretty sad. So, yeah, you need to plan ahead. If you still mail your bills, you need to get them in there quick. So is that really what this is about? They're just going to change the definition of on-time delivery? Like, the mail's not going to change because it's already being delivered late. They're just going to improve their ratings by changing the rule. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of, yeah. You know, so now they could say, I mean, if you just arbitrarily say, okay, we're going to take an extra day. Oh, we have a 60% on time delivery rate. Maybe nothing's changing. Is, is this just a way, you know, a public relations move to make it look like they're not incompetent? Yeah, I guess we'll if see. you mas- yeah, massage the statistics any way you want. All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. A couple of the losing mayoral candidates endorsed two primary election winners Wednesday. Who were the losers and who did they endorse? Leila Tassi, one of these was kind of bizarre. Yeah, it was. Their former city councilman, Zach Reed, and councilman Bashir Jones. Reed this week threw his support behind Justin Bibb. He really dismissed the criticism that Bibb is too young and inexperienced for the job. Instead, he, he likened his youth and leadership aptitude to a young Barack Obama, at a press conference, Reed said that he really believes that Bibb has the vision to solve many of Cleveland's you know, most pressing problems. Bashir Jones, on the other hand, endorsed Kevin Kelly, which was a very interesting move, given that Jones was really critical of Kelly on the campaign trail and aligned him with the old guard of City Hall that would be bad for Cleveland's future. 
But at his presser, he gave Kelly credit for many of the things that Jones claims as his own accomplishments while in office, like the developments in his ward. And then kind of stunningly, Jones attacked Bibb at this press conference. He made remarks about how the election is beyond race and that Kelly, who is white, was more aware of the needs and the challenges of the black community than Bibb, who's black. And, you know, Jones said, this was his quote, we will not be fooled by the tactics to make us believe that just because a person looked like you, that they are for you, because we all understand that a person can look like you and be your worst enemy. We understand that what has happened in this race has happened in very few places across the country, which is someone who has come from nowhere, and we have no idea who they are or where they came from, but a system has stood behind them. I'm just, yeah. That 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 was a surprise, because if he would have just said, look, I'm endorsing Kevin Kelly because I I got some stuff done in my ward during these last four years. And Kevin always supported me. And I think he understands the needs of neighborhoods. That's all fine. Right. I mean, that's 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 legitimate. But but when he starts to to play the, the race card and to say a guy who came from nowhere, it sounds like he's saying, you know, he beat me and it's unfair because he's no one and I'm somebody. And the truth is, Bashir has been in council for three and a half years. That's it's right. not like he has a long history. I, I just, you, you start to wonder, is the tactic really aimed at trying to cause some kind of conflict between Bashir and Justin Bibb to divert attention from the election? I mean, was this really kind of baiting Justin Bibb into into a battle over who represents black voters better. Uh, if so, it didn't look like it. it uh, Justin Bibb's quote was that this seems like sour grapes from Bashir Jones, who, who you know, he came in fifth, right, in a field yeah, of seven. Yeah, and, 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 you know, it's so odd because Bashir Jones also, he came from nowhere. He's a first-term councilman who suddenly decided he can run the city with no other relevant experience. So it's so surprising to see him lashing out in that way at Justin Bibb, who has actually impressive business acumen, works for an organization that innovates solutions for cities, and also has served as a civic leader here in Cleveland in capacities other than city council. So, you know, I just, it's, it was really shocking I, to hear that. I, I do suspect, if, if you remember, the very early poll by Baldwin Wallace, I mean, I think it was the beginning of the year, showed Bashir in second place. Mm. And and he, I think, got a huge boost of confidence for that. Like like it was his to lose. But but if you followed the campaign, he didn't work that hard. He didn't really say much. He didn't have a real agenda. He tried to take credit for development in his ward that he had nothing to do with, like a rec center. And meanwhile, Justin Bibb worked his tail off. I mean, Justin Bibb was everywhere. You know, he was talking to the mayors of other American cities, collecting their their best ideas. He was talking to every kind of group he could talk to. And he and he just did circles around Bashir Jones and won. But it does feel like there was some serious bitterness in his right. in his comments. I think Zach Reed endorsing Justin Bibb is is, you know, a hope for a job. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. But well, well, okay. well, he'd be part of an administration of Justin Bibb. We'll have to see if Justin Bibb prevails. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Ohio farmers were predicting doom when the rains were nonstop over the summer. So how is the harvest turning out? Lord Johnson, this is a question that's been on my mind since I've been looking on social media and seeing everybody's bounty of tomatoes and apple farms overflowing with apples. It doesn't seem like things turned out that bad, did they? 
No, I think it's going to be okay. It's just later than usual. Obviously, this depends on the location and the crop. I was looking up other, uh, just looking at stuff and the amount of water and the apples that they've retained this year because of all of the, the rains has made them larger than normal, which if I think about my time apple picking last weekend, they were huge. And I guess a lot of apples are falling to the ground before they can get picked. So that's a really interesting problem. But the the rain did make everything later. Farmers were unable to work outside. Some crops were washed away. Some people were dealing with machinery issues. Organic farmers couldn't get in the fields to get rid of the, the weeds because they don't use pesticides. So they actually had to replant a bunch of stuff, uh, beans, corn, sunflowers. So they... They are going to see a good yield, they believe. If the weather holds out, it's just going to take a little bit longer. Well, I can attest to the juiciness of the apples. My wife and I ground and pressed four bushels of them. And man, (laughs) there was quite a bit of cider that is now fermenting. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. When will we get to see the people challenging Ohio's gerrymandered legislative districts square off with the Republicans who created those districts in front of the Ohio Supreme Court? Lisa Garvin, there's going to be some interesting drama when they make oral arguments. When do we get to see it? I think it's going to be a fiery exchange, definitely. But yeah, oral arguments are set uh, for December 8th. And this is the lawsuit because there are several lawsuits. But this is the lawsuit that was brought by the ACLU, the League of Women Voters and the A. Philip Randolph Institute. They have a very strict timeline that was set by the Supreme Court. They have to file evidence, you know, by certain dates and then the final date 11 10 the november 10th the plaintiffs can reply to the state official briefs and the supreme court has said no extensions allowed so these are deadlines that they have to meet but i'm very dismayed that uh, um, two members of the redistricting commission bob cup and matt huffman they want to ask to have the lawsuit dismissed. And their grounds was that the constitutional map requirements are not legally binding. That's kind of mind boggling. I don't know what needle they threaded to get to that, you know, get to that solution. But yeah. I got to tell you, though, the the December 8th is deep. I mean, I, I'm surprised that we have to wait that long because say the Supreme Court, here's the oral arguments and they take a few days, a week to rule, you're in mid-December and the filing deadline is less than two months later. And in that period, they would have to come up with maps that work. The likelihood that the Republicans would not do that in good faith because they haven't so far and didn't 10 years ago means it would likely go back to the court. And what what we predicted a few weeks ago is we're going to be up at the very last minute in a crisis. And when that happens, They sometimes accept bad things because it's like, well, we're out of time. We got to make a decision here. I I, I was hoping for a more expedited schedule than this. Well, but I guess they, you know, they have, you know, several deadlines for people to file evidence, file their briefs, and then the plaintiffs get a last chance on November 10th to reply. But there is, there's almost a month gap between that last date for filing and the, you know, the December 8th. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they're just... Come on, this isn't... It's not rocket science. I mean, it's like there's there's parameters the maps have to meet. They don't meet them. So the, the lawyers put in, they don't meet them. The Republicans come back and try to pretend they do. And the court rules. I mean, I, it just seems like this is an irresponsible timeline from the court. You know, I didn't look. The, 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 the people who sued put in proposed timelines 
And then the Republicans came back with suggested much longer timelines. And I didn't look to see which which was closer to what the court came up with. But we're not going to have a lot of time for this. And, you know, remember, it's December. What happens in December? Everybody quits working because it's mm-hmm. the holidays. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just I think this is going to be a. um Ugly period, high drama, but man, why do we have to wait that long? You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What is Club CLE, or Club CLE, if we're going to say it like our podcast, in the Cleveland Hopkins International Airport? Where is it, and who can use it? Leila Tassi, I'm curious. May I begin by saying that the name they chose for this lounge at the airport shores (laughs) up my argument that this week in the CLE is a terrible name for this podcast. We're changing it. We're changing (laughs) it. I know, I know. So Club CLE is a lounge located at the entrance to Concourse B in the space previously occupied by Airspace Lounge, and that closed back in early 2020. Anyone can use this lounge regardless of what airline they travel, but it costs 45 bucks for a day pass to the lounge. And that includes snacks and drinks, Wi-Fi, workstations, charging stations, and other uh, other amenities like that. It's open from 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. This is part of a larger network of club lounges at 15 airports across the U.S., plus two in London. And the lounge is also part of the Priority Pass program, which provides access to hundreds of airport lounges across the globe for an annual fee. But I've got to say, like the photo of the lounge, it looks pretty lackluster. <laughs> I mean, it looks like really crowded with office grade swivel chairs. So I, I mean, I like the windows, but it needs to be a little more spacious, especially during a pandemic to warrant Which... charging $45 a pop. And nobody stays in the airport that long to to take full advantage. You're not going to be in there all day working out of a, a little nook in well... the airport. If your if your plane is delayed, I've been in the United Club out there, which is actually well. Last time I was there, I don't know if it's been shrunk. Is kind of wide open, and it's a much better way to spend time in the airport than out in those uncomfortable chairs. Which which terminal is this in? Do you know? I don't. know. It says Concourse B. So Concourse B. Okay. All right. Not as yeah. I mean, that's the janky uh, concourse that I was on last. Year. So maybe to get away from <laughs> Concourse B, you do want to pay forty five dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. You were complaining about what the airport is like. If you go into this oasis that's of right. cheesy snacks and Cheetos, maybe, that, maybe, they, uh... <laughs> maybe that's why they they let Concourse B fall apart so that you would be more inclined to pay forty five dollars to get away from it. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) All right. We'll leave that there. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to this soon to be renamed podcast. (laughs)